Ross and Jennifer, thank you so much for having us out. And when I say out, I mean, we're actually kind of off the beaten track over here. So where exactly is this slice of paradise? Well, it is in West Sebastopol. And for those of you who are not familiar with Sonoma County, it is uh, kind of Northwest Sonoma County. Behind us is the Pacific Ocean, which we could see it from the top of our driveway. And to the left of us is Napa Valley, which uh, we can also see from our deck. Okay. And you purchased the property 30 some odd years ago, it had no vineyard on it. And you decided unconventionally, because there weren't many vineyards around here, I'm planting a vineyard. Where did, where did that inspiration come from? It came from him. He wanted, he was collecting wines and he wanted to have his own vineyard. Okay. And then Jennifer did the hard work and went to the Yellow Pages and found um, a nursery that would sell us rootstock and had some important inspiration for planting in this area. And for reference, Yellow Pages was a book of resources <laughs> that had businesses that you could then phone. It, so, was, our, it was our Google back then. That's right, it was, it was our Google. So you mm -hmm. purchased rootstock out of the Yellow Pages? Well, when I first started looking for it, at that time they were planting a lot of Pinot in Central California, okay. so everybody was out. So I went to the first, the A, the next one, and then I got to the third one. It was just a little line, and it was John Caldwell who had a <laughs> reputation for being uh, knowing everything about rootstocks and clones. And yeah, we, we bought straight from him. But it was Pinot Noir that inspired you. And mm -hmm. I'm curious, Ross, I mean, Pinot Noir at that point in time in California wasn't exactly what it is today. So where did that no. inspiration come from? Why Pinot? Well, it came from Burgundy. Okay. You know, there, no, there wasn't. I mean, what they called Burgundy here, which BV had a Burgundy as an example, right. um, was not Pinot Noir. <laughs> and uh, there wasn't Pinot Noir really um, happening in California to any great extent. They All did have it up, uh, not in this area. This area is called Sebastopol Hills. They were growing Pinot Noir up near Healdsburg on River Road, like mm -hmm. yep. 20 minutes north. And Dalinger was mm -hmm. a really good Pinot back then. And we had been tasting all sorts of Cabernet and we were like, eh, eh. So we got here and they said, well, you can't grow Cabernet here, but here's what you can grow. And they and you came home and handed me a bottle, bottle of Dalinger and I was like, that's it. That's what and I want. And you were inspired from Burgundy and you had tasted great Pinots there. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of starting to fall into place. You had some validation from a great producer here locally. Mm -hmm. The land is gonna lend itself to grow Pinot. We didn't know. Didn't know. You just, just There, were, there wasn't a single vineyard around here. This is, we have a book on our coffee table that describes us as the pioneers of this area. This was the very first vineyard in West Sebastopol. Also, as you go north, the coast goes off to the left so right. if you're north you're much farther but as you come down we're really close to the ocean here yep. so we get fog where no one else gets fog we get all the fog here and why is the fog so you know so necessary for pinot noir we don't know okay good that's a riveting video <laughs> <laughs> no and you know and i and i say that with all sincerity you know you, you can get six vintners talking that's and waxing rhapsodically about trellising techniques about right. you know the fog about the the gold ridge soil and the truth of the matter is is it's a mystery mm -hmm. um, we are in a dance with Gaia this is you know more of a surrender than it is control and um, 
to, to, to express with authority that we know what is making this happen out there with the degree of excellence that it is would be overstating it. Well, and it's funny, I wanna to talk to you about a word you just used, surrender. Because you did not grow up in agriculture. You weren't farmers. And historically, mm. when you speak with them, they have recognized very early on that they aren't controlling 90% of it. So they have yeah. surrendered that mm. to Mother Nature, Mother Earth. So when did you come to realize that? How many vintages in were you realized? <laughs> when we lost our first vintage. Mm -hmm. Not the first, the first time we lost a vintage. Right. <laughs> you realize, I really don't know. Mm. This is outside of my hands, per mm. se. We I used to have... Um, harvest parties and we invite all our friends up here and we tell them okay it's going to happen on Saturday and they'd all come up and we'd have uh, breakfast for them and then they'd all go out and four hours later they'd have picked this tiny little vineyard and then we'd have a big lunch well one year we did that and when they came up the grapes had already turned and we were like okay we're <laughs> yeah. never doing that again yeah. we called the pick, we called the pick on a Thursday by Saturday they were done and so we had it was like it's our party we can cry if we want to. <laughs> so at that point in time you decide not to quit and no. thankfully you had had you had a, a successful vintage under your belt at then to receive the validation to keep going or oh, was tons. that okay yeah. So one of the things I'm fascinated by is the first vintage of commercial viability. Because not everybody strikes it this successfully right out of the gate. What happened? Well, I will first say that I describe it as the vine intervention. Okay. So we won number one Pinot Noir in the United States, the very first vintage that had our name on it. A drink to that. <laughs> <laughs> and how did that come about? We met a young man uh, who's children were going to school with our children named Greg LaFollette. He <laughs> kindergarten. Was, yeah, yeah, kindergarten, right. And uh, he had uh, started Flowers with the Flowers family, so he was kind of a rock star in the, in the winemaking world. And we introduced him to our vineyard. He had, was just about to start his own winery and okay. asked if he could purchase our fruit and uh, make a vineyard designate out of it. So the vineyard designate Halleck LaFollette wine was number one in the country. It was actually called Tandem. That was okay. the first, his first winery was called Tandem. It was, it was Tandem Halleck Vineyard. So how far out were your chest recognizing that we know what we're doing. We've got a little swagger. Well, that had to be euphoric. What was great for me, because at that time I was selling wine out on the street and I was working for a broker and things. And so I could go into San Francisco where the where it was held and say oh i'm from halleck vineyard oh it was like the red carpet just opened up for us interesting and back then there just weren't very many pinots either so right. everyone was so excited like oh you've got pinot from sonoma county and yeah that is outstanding and then the vineyard behind us how many cases how small how old are the vines do you still walk them every day do you i i walk them <laughs> often but not every day i used to walk them twice a day uh, in the morning and in the afternoons. And uh, on random days, they would be three inches. They would grow three inches between the morning and afternoon. Mm -hmm. And I think, that, you know, talking about surrender, uh, if you think you know what's going on, when you witness that, you're kidding yourself. Right. Yeah. Is that, was that kind of one of the largest les lessons to learn, that maturation process for you as a farmer, grape grower, that as much as you think you have a handle on it, you really don't, and then letting go of that and being comfortable with what does happen and what you can control? I think that is the most important lesson in farming. And uh, having lost last year's crop entirely to smoke, <laughs> uh, it's clear that uh, we have very little control.
That's an important lesson for just about everything, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is. I think one of my biggest lessons was how much people don't agree on things, especially when mm -hmm. Pino, when we started and Greg would tell us something, we'd talk to someone else, and, no, this is what you do. And even how you put fertilizer in, people had completely different ideas. And we just kept thinking someone was just going to tell us the right thing to do and we would just do it. And then we'd be left with, gosh, what do we do? You know, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, right. it still happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and Pinot Noir is such a challenging varietal to grow, but it's also semi-challenging to pair with food. So when you are helping people understand the Pinot Noir that you produce, what are some of the foods that you have found over the years that just accentuate the two of them, you know, one plus one equals three type of thing? Well, first, I'll, I'll, I'll take issue. I think Pinot Noir is the easiest wine yeah. to mm -hmm. pair food with because it goes with so many things. Oh, good. Now, what's interesting is we make probably six Pinot Noirs, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes seven, and, and they taste different. And so they don't all taste, just because we say Pinot Noir doesn't mean it all tastes, it all pairs with the same things. Right. Right. But I think Pinot Noir goes amazingly with lamb, with pork with salmon salmon mm -hmm. a lot of game a lot of duck mm -hmm. a lot of pheasant duck awesome mm -hmm. mushrooms mushrooms yeah Very... i hate mushrooms though i don't know that i just heard it from other people <laughs> just take uh, your word for it yes. yeah a mushroom risotto and a glass of pinot is is over uh, the top i'm i'm hooked done <laughs> what has been the hardest most frustrating thing that people would not even begin to comprehend about farming producing wine the whole journey? The fact that when you're selling wine, we make small lots, and as you're selling it, you know, you've got 40 left, you've got 30 left, you got 20, and all of a sudden, every time you've oversold it by five cases. <laughs> it's like, no! So, or UPS not delivering it in two days, so it's sitting on someone's doorstep getting hot. Right. And so when you say small lots, what are the lots of the four, five, six, seven Pinots? Um, what are they, or how yeah. much do we make? Like, how much? What's production oh, of those um for the single vineyards we make under 100 cases of each and then for our two cuvées which is uh several vineyards put together 100 percent pinot noir um more like 400 500 of those okay yeah well for those of us that are fans of pinot we're certainly glad your children went to <laughs> kindergarten with ken <laughs> <laughs> cheers to that so driving up here, I noticed the logo right outside the gate. Tell me a little bit about the logo, because it's not only an initial, but there's some symbolism behind it. Well, it, there certainly is, and, and most obviously it's an H for Halleck, if you have a keen eye for the obvious, right? <laughs> and do I. <laughs> um, but more importantly, it means one-to-one, -one, as okay. depicted by the Roman numerals. We want to have a personal connection with everyone who enjoys our wine. But if you think, in fact, of the dot as a grape, the grape has been a plant of power for over 8,000 years. In October of 2017, they discovered a clay pot in the Republic of Georgia, this is only four years ago, that had remnants of wine that they dated 8,000 years old. <laughs> so to put that into perspective, that's 1,000 years before Mesopotamia and the birth of civilization. They were making wine. So you've got to guess it was in the realm of the shaman, mm -hmm. the spiritual practitioner, yep, the healer. medicine, exactly. And it's sacred in almost every religion in the world. And for good reason. It has this amazing ability to connect us. Yes. You know, it elevates a conversation, enhances intimacy, and it builds community, and the circle represents our community. So our mission is building community through wine. Uh, it's a great mission. Thank you for having it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thanks. So running a business is hard enough. 
but running a business with a spouse, that kicks the difficulty up a few notches. And you two are not foreign to difficult times in running a business. So how have you been able to make the business continue despite some of the differences in, in the marriage type of thing? So how, how were you able to successfully do that? Well, we started, we decided we wanted to do a winery right when we were getting divorced. Okay. And both of us were like, well, I want to have the winery. No, I want to have, all right, we're both going to do it. And, um, <laughs> And I think a lot of people are really proud of us for having done it. We have three boys, we travel together, we always stayed a unit. Um, but in the beginning, it was really hard, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think one thing was that Ross and I both thought we could do it better and we didn't have a lot of respect for each other in what was going on. And I think just over time, we realized, oh yeah, he does that a little better than I do. And he realized, oh, yeah, she does that a little better than I do. And we kind of, did what we did best and I don't know then it just worked out it, you know um, over time it just worked out we are a great complement to each other yeah we, we, we to each other's strengths mm -hmm. yeah yeah mm -hmm. and it feels good to be able to go oh no he's really good at that you know? <laughs> <laughs> no I don't do that well <laughs> outstanding good